to be attentive, help us to learn something from your word uh, tonight, Father, and I uh, pray you'd help me to uh, be able to focus and to say the words, Lord, that you would have me to say, and, and that it'd be uh, just a good, a good Bible study tonight. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray, amen. Alright, well we're there in Acts chapter number 18, and last week we dealt with the first part of Acts 18, this week we're going to deal with the latter part of it, but we're going to do just a little bit of, of the beginning. If you look at verse number 1, the Bible says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla. So last week we uh, were introduced to Aquila and Priscilla for the first time, and we didn't really talk too much about them, and uh, tonight I just want to spend the entire uh, evening actually talking about Aquila and Priscilla. They're quite uh, uh, good characters, exciting characters, in the Bible, and we're introduced to them for the first time here in Acts 18, and if you're, if, as we read there in verse 2, the Bible says that uh, when Paul came to Corinth, he found a certain Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla, they were from Italy, they were uh, from, from, uh, from Rome there, and because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, they came to Corinth, and they found Paul, or actually Paul found them, in verse 3 it says, and because he, talking about Paul, was of the same Christ. Craft, talking about the work, he, he did the same work as Aquila and Priscilla. Remember we talked about that last week, about being uh, bivocational or full-time uh, pastor. And he was of the same craft, he abode with them. So the Bible says he abode with them, and wrought, that word wrought there means he worked, for by their occupation they were tent makers. So Paul joined up with Aquila, he joined up with Priscilla, because they did the same type of work, they were tent makers. And Paul at this time is a bivocational preacher, and he uh, preaches on the side, as he, and he, he works a secular job, making tents, he preaches on the side, he meets Aquila and Priscilla, and he uh, you know, kind of gets to know them there, and, and you know, the reason I want to preach on Aquila and Priscilla is because oftentimes we preach uh, exciting sermons, or, or very uh, you know, biblical sermons, about people like Paul and Peter and James and John. And, and those are good, and, and we need those, and we can learn from those. But so often people get this idea, well, I'm not an Apostle Paul. You know, I'm not a Peter, I'm not a John, and I'm not going to be a pastor, and I'm not going to be a preacher. And what's exciting to me about Aquila and Priscilla is that they weren't a pastor, they weren't a missionary, they weren't in what we would consider full-time ministry, or they weren't, you know, called into the ministry. They were just a couple, they were a husband and a wife, and, but, but we can learn so much about them in the Bible. They were, and I don't like using this terminology, but they were what today people would consider a lay person in the church, a layman or a laywoman, someone who just isn't the leading the ministry, they're not a pastor, they're not, they weren't Paul, Paul was the leader, Paul was the preacher, they were just a husband and wife in the church, but they were a great asset to the ministry, and I want to kind of study Aquila uh, and Priscilla tonight, and the hopes is that you would learn from their lives what every su successful ministry needs. Paul was a very successful preacher, and he was able to start a lot of successful churches, but the reason he was able to be successful is because he had men and women like Aquila and Priscilla who were behind him, who were helping him, and every church, if they're going to be a church, is going to do something in their community, is going to do something for the glory of God, it needs more than just a pastor and a pastor's wife. Now, you've got to have a good pastor and a good pastor's wife, obviously. 
You gotta have good leadership, but you gotta even more than that. You gotta have people. You know, we you ever heard this term? Uh, you know, sometimes in the military, people would say stuff like this, or even in jobs where they'll say, "There's too many chiefs and not enough Indians." You know, and sometimes you need some Indians. You know, not if that offends you because I'm not politically correct. Uh, I apologize. My wife is half Indian. Uh, you know, Native American, so that shouldn't. So I can say that. I guess she's a. What is she black? Your Blackfoot? Blackfoot, something like that. She's like half black or a quarter Blackfoot, a quarter Cherokee. And we try to cash in on it. And the they went. They went. They wouldn't give us any profit at um, the casino or anything. And then my kid said it's dark in here, so we said, "Well, we gotta go." And I know I'm just kidding. We, we don't go to casino. I'm just kidding. That's that's a joke. But okay, you know, you you need to have workers. You need to have people. And uh, Aquila and Priscilla were great at that. So let's get right into it. Look at verse number uh, three. The Bible says, and, and because he, like I said, talking about Paul, was of the same craft, he abode with them. So I want you to notice, Paul joined them. He went to live with Aquila, he went to live with Priscilla, is what verse 3 tells us. But if you skip down to verse number 18, the Bible says, and Paul, do you remember we dealt with Paul at, uh, at Corinth last week, and all the events that took, there, took place in Corinth, and after all that stuff happened in Corinth, in verse 18 the Bible says, and, and Paul... After this, tarried there yet a good while, talking about Corinth, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria. So Paul is leaving Corinth and he's going into Syria. But notice what the verse says. And with him, and this is the first good quality of, of Aquila and Priscilla, the Bible says, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shown his head in Sincrea, for he had a vow. Now if you're wondering there about showing his head and his vow, we're going to get into that later in the book of Acts, and we're going to get deep into that, so don't worry about that. We're not going to deal with that tonight, but I want you to see this. Paul shows up at Corinth, he meets Aquila, and he meets Priscilla, they do the same job, so he actually abides with them, he hangs out with them, he joins them. But when Paul is done in Corinth, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to take sail now, I'm going to go into Syria, I'm going to go do other things, and other places, the Bible says that Aquila and Priscilla decided, hey Paul, we're actually going to set off, and we're going to get on sail, and we're going to go with you. Now here's the good, the, the first good quality of Aquila and Priscilla is this, and they set off. Aquila and Priscilla were the type of people that when they met a pastor or a preacher or a church or a ministry that they believed in, a ministry that they could agree with, when they, you know, they obviously spent time with Paul in Corinth and they got to hear him preach, they got to see him minister, they got to see his ministry, they got to see him go soul winning, they got to see him, you know, go through all the trials that we talked to in Corinth. And, and when they went through all that, they, Aquila and Priscilla, I can imagine at some point they sat down maybe at a, at a dinner table somewhere and they said, you know what? We believe in what the Apostle Paul is doing. We believe in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to stick with him. And when Paul said, hey, i got to leave Corinth, they said, you know what, Paul? We're just going to go with you. And you know what? Every successful ministry needs is a group of people that would say, hey, I agree with that vision. I agree with that preaching. I agree with what they're doing. And I'm going to join myself up. And I'm going to get behind that pastor, behind that ministry, behind that Bible, behind that vision. And I'm going to, you know, set off with them. And I'm going to be a part of their vision. I'm going to be a part of their, whatever Paul's doing, we want to be a part of it. And every church needs that. Every church is going to need a group of people. You say, a church needs a great pastor, and that's true. A, a church does need somebody to lead, and somebody who can teach the Bible and all that. But even more than that, you need followers. You need people who are going to get excited. And Aquila and Priscilla, they got excited behind Paul. And when Paul said, hey, we're going to go over here, and we're going to minister here, they said, we're 
church needs people that are going to get behind and they're going to say, hey, I want to be a part of that ministry. And I want to be used of God. And I want to get behind that preacher. I want to get behind that pastor. And I want to get behind that. And I believe what they're preaching. I believe what they're doing. I believe in the soul winning. I believe in, the, in, in all that's being done. And let's be a part of this. You know, Moses was a great leader. But Moses accomplished very little. And Moses never actually got to go into the promised land. And the Bible says he was a great, a great prophet. The Bible says he was the meekest man who ever lived. I mean, the Bible says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a friend speaketh to a friend. But yet Moses, the you know, one of the greatest leaders, if not the greatest leader, other than John the Baptist, of course. The Bible, Jesus Christ said that John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived. But other, other than John the Baptist, Moses was probably the, the number one man in the, in the Bible as far as a leader. And Moses accomplished very little because he had very bad followers. He, when Moses was leading the children of Israel, they were rebellious, they were complainers, they were whiners, they were backbiters, they weren't faithful, and they had the greatest prophet that ever walked this earth, leading them, teaching them, preaching to them, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness, never had a vic- you know, had very few victories, never actually went into the promise, didn't accomplish much for the glory of God, because the followers... Wouldn't allow. Joshua steps on the scene. And Joshua is a great man of God. Joshua is one of my favorite Bible characters in the Bible. I named, we named the son after Joshua. But the Bible never says that Joshua spoke to God face to face like a man speaking, like a friend speaking to a friend. But Joshua went into the promised land and had great victory. He had great success. He took over the promised land and they did wonderful things for God. What was the difference? Here was the difference. The fellowship. Those who were followed. Because the children of Israel, those that Moses led, they died off in the wilderness. They died off in the, in the desert. And that new generation came up. Those kids came up. And the Bible tells us that they were obedient. The Bible says that they obeyed Moses, that they obeyed Joshua with the same fervency and the same respect and the same honor that they obeyed, jo- they, they obeyed Joshua. What I'm trying to illustrate is this. You can have a great leader and very bad followers and accomplish nothing. And you can have Joshua, who's a good leader, but doesn't match up to Moses, but he had great followers, and they did wonderful things. Because you don't need to have, you know, you don't need to have the greatest pastor, the greatest preacher, the most eloquency. You need just someone who's willing to lead, and then people who are willing to follow, and God says, you know what, I'm going to bless that. And the first thing we can learn about Aquila and Priscilla is this, they set off. They said, you know what, we're going to get connected to this. And we're going to become a part of this. And this, is going to be, this isn't just Paul's ministry anymore. This is our ministry. They owned it. I remember when my wife and I uh, first went to Travis Air Force Base. I first got stationed at Travis Air Force Base in Vacaville. And we, we, we started going to Fellowship Baptist Church, Vacaville, California. Most of you know Pastor Mark Lewis. He was preaching here just uh, uh, a little bit over a month ago. And I remember we went there, and we kind of had this idea that we were just kind of there temporarily. You know, we're just there because of the military, and then, you know, we're either going to be moving, or we're going to be getting out of the military, we're going to be going. And we just kind of started going to church, and we were really good church members. I mean, we were great church members. I mean, we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we tied, we were soul winning, and we never bothered the pastor, we never talked to him. I mean, we would come in, drop in our tithes, be in the service, we'd leave. I mean, we were great. I, I would consider myself, we were like the greatest 
church members were. I mean, they caused any problems. I mean, we would come in. We never got there really early. We got there right on time. We never talked to it. I mean, I'm not saying we were, I, in my mind, we're like, great. We are not causing any problems. You know, but we weren't really that involved either. We're just kind of there. I remember Pastor Mark was preaching this sermon, and he was talking about, you know, church members. He was talking about the mentality of renting versus owning. You know what I'm talking about? You know how, like, when you rent, you know, my wife and I, obviously, we rented for a long time. We rented an apartment, you know, we lived. And when you rent, you kind of try to take care of the place, but, you know, it's not that big of a deal. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you want to keep it nice, but if the water heater goes out, you just call, hey, the water heater. If the, you know, if this goes out or that gets broken, it's kind of like, ah, whatever, it's not real place. But, you know, when you buy a place, all of a sudden, all of those responsibilities become your responsibility. And all of a sudden, hey, you know, hey kids, you know, let's not draw on the wall because we are going to be here for the rest of our life. You know, let's not, you know, just do all these bad things. Because when you own a place, you become committed to that place. It becomes part of you. You know, and he was free. He was using the analogy and saying, you know, some of you in this church are just ranked. I remember when he said that, man, that hit me so hard. And I remember my wife and I, we got in the car and we started, and, and he's saying, you know, there are people in this church who own this church. And they're here, and they're here for keeps. This is their church. This is their mission. This is their vision. This is their responsibility. They're here, and they want to see this be a successful ministry. They want to see this. And he said, but some of you are just here, just because this is where you're at right now. But you're really planning on, you know, you know like what it is when you first get married, you rent an apartment, but you're really planning on buying a house. You're not going to stay in that apartment forever. I remember when he said that, that hit me so hard. I remember my wife and I got in our vehicle and we were driving home, you know, because we left, because we didn't talk to the pastor, because we didn't, you know, we just were that type of people. And I remember we got in the, in the car, and my wife and I were talking, and, the, and she was talking about, man, that really hit her too. And we were thinking, man, that's us. You know, like, we love this church, we love the preaching, but we're not really, we're just kind of renting. And I remember that day we decided, I remember my wife and I, we had a conversation, we decided, you know what, from now, this is our church. And at that time, you know, we were members there, and we said, Fellowship Baptist Church is our church, and we transitioned from renting to owning. And remember, our lives changed there. I mean, we started getting involved, we started getting people saved, we started having visitors come. I mean, we had so many people come to that church, we had people baptized, we, laid, we got into soul, you know, we, I was already, already in soul, but even, even to the point where we were bringing other, I mean, I, we were getting people saved, we were getting baptized, and I was getting my converts to come soul winning with me. And it wasn't my church. I wasn't the pastor. But I, you know, you say, and then we started a Spanish ministry, and then we really started bringing people. We really started, you know, uh, ministering to people. And you say, what changed? What was the difference between someone who just comes to church, sits down, leaves, puts their offering in, you know, and just fills a chair? And then someone who says, hey, I'm going to jump on board. I'm going to get in this. I'm going to get a part of it. Here's the difference. Some are renting, some are owning. Some are here, so they can find another church they like. Bad. And then some people come to church and they say, hey, this is my church. And this is what Aquila and Priscilla were doing with Paul. They were saying, Paul, we're not just, you know, at first we just kind of met you and we just, it happened to be that we were all at Corinth. But then they said, you know what, we're going to commit to this thing. And if you're leaving Corinth, then we're leaving Corinth. And we're going to go with you. And obviously, Paul's ministry was different than our ministry. We're not leaving Sacramento. We're going to die in Sacramento. I mean, this is, our, this is where we're going to minister. Obviously, Paul was a missionary. But what I'm trying to say is they, they believed in his ministry so much. And they had become such a part of it that to them, it wasn't Paul's ministry. It was Aquila and Priscilla's ministry. And they said, you're going to Syria? We'll go with you. They set off. Number two... 
I'd like you to see about Aquila and Priscilla. They set off. Number two, I'd like you to see they served. They served. Go with me to Romans chapter number 16. You're there in Acts. Go to Romans. Romans chapter number 16. Romans chapter number 16. Look at verse number 3. Romans 16.3. The, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he obviously had become great friends with Priscilla and Aquila. And towards the end of the book there, he actually greets them. If you look at Romans 16.3, Paul said, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. And look what he says. My helpers in Christ Jesus. He said, my helpers in Christ Jesus. He said, Pastor Jimenez, I'd like to be a, a, how can I be a good church member? Here's how you can be a good church member. Number one, get sold out. Get, get set up. Just decide, hey, I, I'm going to own this ministry. I'm going to be a part of this ministry. But number two, hey, sir. You know, this is a common theme we like to preach about because it's something the Bible talks a lot about. But the Bible, this is what, this is what Paul said about, the, about a, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. He said, greet them. He hadn't seen them for a while. And he's sending a letter. And he said, hey, I want you to say hi to my good friends, Priscilla and Aquila. And the first thing he said, and he says a few more things, and we're going to get into it. But the first thing he says about them, he says, they were my helpers. He says, they were servants. He said, when they were with me in the ministry, I could always count on them. To help me with just anything that was going on and anything that they were doing, anything that was happening, they were my helpers and they were there to minister, they were there to serve, they were there to help, and they weren't necessarily preaching the sermon, and they might not have been getting the pastor appreciation Sunday, and they might not have been getting the highlights, and people might have not even noticed it, but you know what was so great about them? They were there to help, they were there to serve, they weren't a burden, they were trying to help us in the ministry. Aquila and Priscilla, number one, they set off with Paul, but number two, they helped serve with Paul. He says they were my helpers. And by the way, they got that from the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Matthew chapter number 20. Look at verse number 28. Matthew chapter number 20 and verse 28. Look at what Jesus Christ said. Matthew chapter number 20 and verse 28. The Bible says, even as the Son of Man, look what it says, the Son of Man referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is often referred to as the Son of God, and He's often referred to as the Son of Man, because He was the God-Man. Yes, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. The Bible says, Jesus Christ said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. I didn't come to be ministered, He said, I came to minister. And Aquila and Priscilla said, hey Paul, we're going to go and we're going to help you, we're going to be your helper in the ministry that we're going to serve. We're going to minister. And you know, if you, if you say, well, how, how, can I, what, what, how can I be a good church member? Here's how you can be a good church member. Find somewhere to serve. Find somewhere to, to, to help others and to, and to, and to be part. And, and, and let me say this. And, and if this sounds to me, and I apologize. Let me say this. Don't help. You know, sometimes people try to help. Some, you, you, ever, you ever done a project with like a child? Like you, ever, you know, something like that to do a project with my children. And they want to help, but they end up causing more problems than they're actually helping. You know, like they actually slow you down. And they, you know, sometimes people want to help. You know, you got to sit down. If you're going to, if you're going to, you know, say, hey, I'd like to help with this. You know, sit down and think to yourself, is that really going to help? Or is that actually going to cause more work? <laughs> you know, sometimes people say, oh, I'll see if we could do this and this and this. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, man, that, that sounds great. But, you know, I don't have the time to do all that. You know, you know what I'm saying? You want, to, you want to make yourself available, and you want to serve. Just find areas to serve. And, and it doesn't have to be about, you know, where people can see you, where people... Just, just be able to help. Just be able to serve. I, I love it that there's certain people I can just ask them. I can just say, hey, brother, or hey, can you, know, can you help with this? Or can you help with that? I'm running out of time. I'm always running out of time. 
you know, just find a place to serve. Your goal in life as a Christian is not to be ministered to, is to be a minister. And look, we'll minister to you. And we love you, and especially when you're, when you're new or you're growing, hey, you need to be ministered to, you need to be taught, you need to be loved, I understand that. But the whole point of the Christian life is this, that you mature to the place where you're not always the one being ministered to, but you can actually start taking on some of that load and taking on some of that burden and helping others. And if you say, Pastor Jimenez, what, what can I... What can I help with? Well, the number one thing you can help with is this goal right here. If we're going to knock on every door in Sacramento, I, I mean, if, I, if I'm going to do it, you know, I can't do it by myself, obviously. So that's, that's our number one goal. That's our number one mission. But the Bible says that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And the Bible says about Aquila and Priscilla, when Paul thought, thought of them, the first thing that popped in his head, he said, man, they were my helpers. They were helpers. They were helping. They were serving. Keep your finger there in Matthew chapter number 20 because we're going to come back to it. But go back to Romans chapter 16. I should have told you to keep your finger there. But go back to Romans 16 and keep your finger there in Matthew 20 because we're going to come back to it. I said number one about Aquila and Priscilla, they set off. Number two about Aquila and Priscilla, they served. Number three about Aquila and Priscilla, they sacrificed. They sacrificed. Look at Romans uh, 16, look at verse 3 again. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Look what he says in verse 4. It's an amazing statement. Who have for my life laid down their own necks. Isn't that amazing? Paul said, Aquila and Priscilla put themselves in danger for my life. He says, for my life they laid down their own necks. You say, and here's the beautiful thing about Aquila and Priscilla. They're trying, you can tell in their life, they're trying to be like Jesus Christ. Because Paul said this, so he said two things about them. He said they were my helpers. He said they were servants. And he said they were, they were willing to sacrifice themselves. He said, for my life they laid down their own necks. And you go back to Matthew chapter number 20, and look at verse number 28. Look at what it says about Jesus Christ. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. So Jesus Christ came to serve. And what was the other thing He came to do? And to give His life a ransom for many. Do you see? that? The goals of Jesus Christ were this. It was, he came on earth to serve and to sacrifice. And Aquila and Priscilla, they said, we may not be the pastor, we may not be the preacher, we may not be the missionary, we may not be the evangelist, we may not be getting all the, you know, uh, doing all the things in front of everybody, but we can do this, we can serve, and we can sacrifice, and we can be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're going to say, hey, I, how can I be a good church member? Here's how you can be a good church member. Be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Serve and sacrifice. They sacrifice themselves. Now you may be wondering, how do we sacrifice? You know, we live in the United States of America. And last I checked, none of us are really laying down our lives for the gospel. And, and we live in a, uh, where we have liberties, and specifically religious liberties. And we don't have to. But I want you to see this. Not only did Aquila Priscilla and Priscilla sacrifice in the, in the sense of laying down their lives, they, all, they, they sacrificed in very practical ways. Let me show you that. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. 1 Corinthians 16, look at verse number 19. Very interesting verse about Aquila and Priscilla. 1 Corinthians 16, 19, the Bible says... The churches of Asia salute you. This is Paul speaking, obviously through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord. And look what it says. With the church that is in their house. Isn't that very interesting? 
the Bible says that a Quillen Priscilla actually allowed a church to gather in their house. Now, if you don't think that's a sacrifice, you talk to my wife. <laughs> you know, Priscilla could probably, my wife could probably uh, identify with Priscilla a lot. You know, and, 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 I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not saying this to, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm complaining, because I'm not complaining. We are privileged to be allowed to serve in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I, I do want to kind of bring a few things in perspective for you. You know, it's not the average young mother's dream to buy a house that she can't decorate because her husband wants to set up a church in. You understand what I'm saying? Priscilla was willing, and Aquila were willing to sacrifice. And, and you know, I think sometimes we all have this idea that setting up a church is just setting up a church. Setting up the church is the easiest part of setting up a church. You know, I, and I was thinking about this, I was studying for this sermon, I was thinking about Priscilla. So I was thinking about my wife. And my wife doesn't, you know, she's probably embarrassed that I'm even saying any of this. But let me, let me give you just a, an example of a week. Specifically, an example of last week for my wife. My wife got up on Saturday morning after having been able to, you know, get control under her morning sickness and feeding her two wonderful children, set off to clean the entire house vacuumed, wiped down everything, fixed everything, set up, you know, I helped her set up tables and stuff like that. We set up for ladies' activity. She had a ladies' activity. Out of fun. After ladies' activity, it happened to be a gardening activity this time. So there was mud everywhere. There was mud in the kitchen. There was mud up there. You know, and the average person wanted to just go rest. But she could. Because we had church the next day. So guess what she did? Clean. Cleaned up, cleaned everything, set it up, got it nice. Obviously, I helped set up a church Sunday morning. We had church on Sunday morning, like we normally have on Sunday morning. Everybody leaves, and the house is messed. And, and I'm not complaining. You bring 25 people to your house three times a week. See how you like. It's a, it's work. Is what I'm trying to show you. It's work. She set up a church. So then, what? When the when the average person is taking a nap on Sunday afternoon, my wife is cleaning on Sunday afternoon because we have church on Sunday night. After Sunday night, she spends Monday cleaning because we have a harvest party. And then after the harvest party, obviously, the house is thrashed. So you get enough of a break on Tuesday before we got to clean the entire house again for church on Wednesday night. And please understand what I'm saying. I'm not, we're not complaining. I just want you to understand. Aquila and Priscilla were doing this. I can promise you they were having harvest parties and they were having ladies activities. And then you said, no, I don't know why they were doing that. But they were willing, these people, and here's the difference, Okay. They weren't even the pastor or the pastor's wife. And they were willing to say, hey, we'll sacrifice our home. They sacrificed in a very practical way. And I'm not, you know, I'm not asking that you come and say, Pastor, you can meet in our, church, in our house. That's not what I'm asking. I'm saying people who are going to make an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ are going to learn to sacrifice. You know, I tell, I tell my wife often when we're talking about, oh, you know, it'll be nice for us to the house, the church gets out of the house, we're going to do this. You know, I think, you know, God is going to bless us for the things we do. Obviously, God blesses us for this lack of sleep and the work and all those things and studying and all that stuff. God helps that and God blesses that. And But, you know, you as a church member, as our church begins to expand, first of all, you got to get, you, you got to get it. Get sold out. Set sale. Because you're not going to sacrifice if you're not, if you're just renting. 
Does that make sense? If you, but once you decide, hey, you know what? I'm in this for the long run. I'm here. I'm, I'm owning this ministry. This is my ministry. This is my community. This is my city. These are my, you know, this is our vision and our goal. And we're going to get these people there. Once you get to that place where you say, hey, I, you know, and, and we're not, you know, taking off. We're not going to quarantine. But when you say spiritually, I'm setting sail, Pastor Jimenez. I'm joining the ship of Verity Baptist Church. And I'm getting on board. And I'm getting sold out and setting. And then you say, hey, I want to try to serve. And I want to try to help. And I want to be a minister. Then you, then you get to do this. You get to sacrifice in the ministry. It's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. I said number one, Aquila and Priscilla set off. Number two, they served. Number three, they sacrificed. Number four, I'd like you to see, look at verse number 24. Acts chapter number 18, look at verse number 24. Acts 18, 24. Acts 18.24, the Bible says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Now let me, you know, explain a few things. Okay, Apollos is a very well-known character in the Bible as well. And the, Paul, the Bible says about Apollos that he was instructed in the way of the Lord, and he was fervent in the Spirit, but he only knew the baptism of John. Now, let, you know, I'm going to slow down here for a second because I want you to understand a few things and I want you to learn something. At Verity Baptist Church, we are not dispensationalists. Now, some of you have probably never heard that terminology before, and to that I say, praise the Lord. But, if you ever hear somebody say, is your church dispensationalist, or are you a dispensationalist? The answer is no. We are not dispensationalists, and we are not hyper-dispensationalists, and the doctrine of dispensationalism, let me, let, let me explain that to you. Those who teach dispensationalism, they teach this, that God deals with different people in different times of the Bible differently, okay? So they'll say something like this, okay? A dispensationalist will say, in the New Testament we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, they were saved by works. Or they'll say, in the end times, people will be saved if they can make it through the tribulation, which is works, if they can make it to the end. But only in the church age, and that's, that's a key word right there, church age, or the age of grace. If anybody ever talks about the age of this or the age of that, it's not true. They're lying. Okay? No one in, the old, no one in history has ever been saved by works. Okay? We are all sinners since the beginning. And I don't understand, because people say in the Old Testament, people were saved by grace. But Romans 4 says that Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. James says that Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And Genesis says that, that uh, Abraham believed God. Also, the Bible says that Noah was saved by grace. See, salvation has always been by grace through faith. People say, well, and this is what they say, maybe you've heard this before. The, the neo-charismatic movement and the contemporary movement of today, they'll teach this. In the Old Testament, Jesus was, or God was a very angry God. He was a very mad God. He, he, he was all about judgment and the Ten Commandments. And in the New Testament, He's like Santa Claus. He's happy and He's nice. That's not true. God showed as much grace in the Old Testament as He did in the It's the same God. God doesn't deal with people differently. And people in the Old Testament got saved by faith 
As, in the same way that we get saved by faith. Now here's what you got to understand. There are a few differences. When Jesus Christ came, obviously a few things changed. Okay? Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I don't have a lot of time to go through it right now. But Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The word Messiah is talking about He's the Savior. He's the one who is going to come to save us from our sins. Now in the Old Testament, imagine that the, the front of this room here is a timeline. Okay? And here we got creation. And over here we got, you know, the end times and the rapture and, all, and the tribulation and all that. And let's say that right here, you know, is, when, is, is Jesus Christ. When, when Jesus Christ lived on earth and He died. In the Old Testament, people would get saved by faith. But here's the thing. In the Old Testament, they were looking forward at the Messiah. By faith, they believed that one day the Messiah would come to redeem them from their sin. Okay? In the New Testament, we're saved the same way, by faith. The difference is, we are now looking back and saying, we believe that the Messiah has come and that He has saved us from our sins. Do you understand what I'm saying? No one in the Old Testament got saved by works. Okay? The sacrifices didn't save them. Hebrews says that the sacrifices could not save them from their sins, that they were imperfect. They were all a picture of Jesus Christ. They were When they sacrificed the Lamb, all they were doing, they were saying, we believe, just like when you get baptized today, does baptism save you? No. All you're saying when you get baptized is you're saying, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and buried and rose from the grave. In the New Testament, when they, when they sacrificed, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, when they sacrificed, all they were saying is this, this lamb represents the fact that one day the Son of God, the Messiah, is going to come down and He's going to be sacrificed by sin. They were looking forward to the cross and saying, you know, we believe that one day the Messiah will come, still by faith, and today we just look back to the cross. And say, we believe that the Messiah has come. You're still saved by faith. Now if you look at uh, Acts 18 and verse 24. Apollos was a saved man. Okay, he did not get saved in Acts 18. He was already saved. And we know this because we never hear about him believing or getting baptized. However, he believed before he'd heard of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 24, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being firm in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So Apollos got to Jerusalem before Jesus Christ came on the scene, but while John the Baptist was still preaching. So he believed on the Messiah. He believed on the Christ. But he never got to see Jesus Christ. He never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Obviously in the Old Testament, they didn't know the name of Jesus Christ. Obviously, they looked through a, uh, you know, a dark, you know, darkly. They didn't understand all the things we understand now because we have the complete Bible. But they still believed by faith that the Messiah was But they didn't know his name was Jesus. And they didn't maybe know all the details that we know today. But they were saved by faith. Apollos... He heard John preach before Jesus came on the scene, and he believed. He got saved. But he never heard of Jesus Christ. And the entire ministry of Jesus Christ went by, and he was still a believer, but he didn't, he didn't get saved. I mean, that's the wrong thing. He got saved, he didn't hear about Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand that he got saved. Let me show you this in the Bible. Go with me to Luke, uh, chapter number 2. People in the Old Testament were still saved by grace. But here's the thing. During the life of Jesus... Here's what you got to understand. And, I, and I'm sorry if I'm going, if I'm doing too much tonight, but I just want you to get this. During the ministry of Jesus, those who already believed before Jesus that came on the scene, 
quickly transferred, as soon as they were exposed to Jesus, or someone explained to them about Jesus, they quickly accepted Him as the Messiah, and they transferred their faith. Does that make sense? Look at Luke chapter number 2, look at verse 21. Luke chapter number 2, look at verse number 21. The Bible says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. We're reading about Jesus when he, had, when he was born. Eight days after his birth, he was going to be taken into the temple, presented and circumcised like the law of Moses says. The Bible says, And eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child. His name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of, of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, that's all in Leviticus, we were talking about that at the harvest party. You know, that's why you got to read all, all the books so it all makes sense. You're like, what is that talking about? Well, if you read Leviticus, you know exactly what it's talking about. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law, Leviticus, of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So yeah, I know that makes sense. Uh, we were talking about that, Brother Vincent. And I don't know if you noticed this, but remember we were talking about the, the different sacrifices for different social, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, economic structure. Mary and, jo- and Joseph were giving the poor man sacrifice. Turtle doves and two young pigeons. Jesus Christ wasn't born into a rich family. Anyway, look at verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. So this is an old man. And he was already saved. Notice. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The word Christ means Messiah. So this old man who already believed, the Holy Ghost told him, Hey, you're not going to die until you get to see the Messiah. Look at verse 27. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. So the Spirit drove him into the temple the same time that Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus Christ into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said look this old man see if this happened to me and my wife we'd probably like call the cops this old man goes over to Mary grabs the child out of her, her arms verse 28 then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said Lord now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word for mine eyes have seen thy salvation so I want you to hear an old man lived most I, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Look at verse 31. Which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people. A life to lie in the Gentiles in the glory of the people of Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for the sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. That thou of many hearts may be uh, that that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed look at verse 36 I'll give you another example and there was one Anna a prophetess so here's a, a, a woman who's a prophetess the daughter of Penuel and you know if you're wondering why is there a woman prophetess the Bible talks about women prophets, but they did not have a public ministry. You can study that out. Women who were prophets never had a public ministry. You never see them getting up in front of people and preaching. That's Bible. But look what it says. The daughter of Peniel, the tribe of Aser, and she was of great age. So a very old woman. And had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. 
So she was a virgin. She got married. She lived with her husband for seven years. Look at verse 37. And she was a widow about four score and four years. So she was married for seven years. My wife and I have been married for seven years. It would be like if I died right now, and then she lived the next four score and four years. Four score means 80. Okay, remember Abraham Lincoln's famous speech? Four score and seven years ago. Okay, for 84 years, she lived as a widow. So it says, and she was a widow about four score and four years, which departed, here's what she did since she was a widow, since she wasn't married, she departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. You see, you see how it's a biblical thing to serve? And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of Him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So as soon as she saw Jesus, what did she do? She went soul winning. You see that? That's what she did. She went soul winning. She spoke in verse, in, in verse uh, 38, and she coming in the instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and she spake of Him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So she went out and said, I, I'm a woman. Can I, can I preach? Can I preach? Man? You know, maybe you can't preach behind the pulpit, but I tell you what you can do. You can go out and knock on doors and preach about Jesus all you want. You can go out and tell people about Jesus all you want because this is what this prophet is saying. She went out and she told everybody when she identified the Christ. So here's what you got to understand. Here's what I'm, gonna, I'm, getting, I'm getting somewhere. I know it seems like I'm not getting anywhere, but I'm getting somewhere. Okay? Man, I'm out of time. Sometimes people have this idea. Pastor Jimenez, do we have a test to know if someone is saved? And, there, and let me explain something to you. There is no test to know if someone is saved. Okay? If someone says to you, well, so-and-so said they got saved, but I don't know if they actually got saved because, you know, they still drink alcohol and they still, you know, say bad words and, and, and they're not very faithful to church. Look, Yes, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol, you shouldn't say bad words, you should be faithful to church. I, we understand all that. But we should never look at somebody's life and look at the lack of their change and identify that as the fact that they're not saved. Okay? All of us, people can look at stuff in our lives that would say, you're not saved. David committed adultery and killed a man. Do you understand that? Those are two major sins. He committed adultery and he killed a man, and guess what? For the rest of eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to sit on the throne of David. The man was saved. He went to heaven. But he did bad things. Okay? Salvation is not by works. We've got to understand that. It's not based on how you live your life. It's based on what you believe. The Bible tells us that Samson was saved. And he committed suicide. The Bible tells us Saul, Saul was saved. And he committed suicide. So you, we cannot look at people's lives and determine, well, based on their life, they're not saved. Okay? That's not a test for salvation. The only way we can know if somebody's saved is whether or not they believe, and the only way we can tell if they believe is whether or not they tell us they believe. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If somebody says to me, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then they believe. It's not my place to judge their life or judge their heart. That's, that's between them and God. Amen. But, there's no test to tell if someone is saved. But let me tell you something. There is a test to tell if someone is not saved. Does that make sense? There is no test to determine, is that person saved? We can't determine that. That's between them and God. But we can, there is a test in the Bible to tell us if someone is not saved. Okay? In the book of John, the Lord Jesus Christ said that His sheep hear His voice and they know Him. Okay? When somebody, if somebody comes to this church and they say, I'm saved, I'm, I'm a Christian... 
And every time we present to them Jesus Christ, every time we preach out of the Bible, they disagree with it, or they just can't understand it, or they just, you know, and, and all of us are going to have our hangups. Obviously, everybody's going to have their little issue that they struggle with. We understand that. But people who are just constantly anti, well, I know the Bible says this, but I just don't believe it. And then the next week, well, I know the Bible says this, but I just don't believe it. And then the next week, well, I know the Bible just says this, but I just don't believe it. And they just hear the voice of the shepherd. Jesus Christ said, my sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. They, another man's voice, you know, another shepherd's voice, they will not follow. That's what Jesus said. He said, they're not going to follow a false prophet. When they hear my voice, they're going to identify it. They're going to know it. They're going to, you know, uh, uh, Simeon and Anna identified the Christ. Before they ever knew him, they believed. But when they saw him, they were able to identify it. And people who you just teach them something out of the Bible, and they just do not accept it. You teach them something out of the Bible, and they just do not accept it. You teach them something out of the Bible, they just do not accept it. They're always anti the Bible. They just don't have the Holy Spirit. A carnal man cannot understand spiritual things. So someone who's constantly, you know, when people, somebody comes up to me after service and says, you know, I just disagree with this one point. I just think to myself, well, that's just what you're struggling. But after three or four or five, seven different times that you came to me and told me, I don't agree with this, I don't agree with this, I don't I just think to myself, well, you must not be of the, of the fold. Because his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. Okay, so the test to be able to know somebody's not saved is that they just cannot hear the voice of the shepherd. I'm not talking about my voice, I'm talking about the word of God. Does that make sense? Go back to Acts 18, let's finish this real quick. Apollos was a saved individual that had never been exposed to... He believed on the Messiah, but he'd never been taught that the Messiah had came, and his name was Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them. And look what it says. Were they the pastor? Were they the preacher? Were they the missionary? Were they the... And expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They saw this young man and they said, man, this guy's a great preacher. He's very eloquent. He, he's got a lot of power. But he just doesn't really know about Jesus yet. He's a believer, but he, hasn't, he doesn't know that the Messiah has come. And they said, hey, hey. You know, I imagine they went up to him after church. So they said, hey, Paul, we'd like to have you over for lunch. You know, and they brought him over for lunch. They said, hey, you know, we know you're great. You're, you're, you're a really good young man. You're a great believer. Hey, we just wanted to teach you something. We wanted to show you something. And the Bible says they taught him the way of God more perfectly. They expounded upon him the way of salvation. More perfectly. Look at verse 27. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, so when Apollos left, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. Now, I, please don't miss this. Aquila and Priscilla, the, Paul said about Aquila and Priscilla, they're my helpers. They take Apollos under their wing. And then Apollos goes off, and what, what does the Bible say about Apollos? He helped much. So they were rubbing off on him. They were teaching him. They were saying, hey Apollos, let's teach you something about being a Christian. First, you should be a servant. You should be a helper. Look at verse 28. For he, talking about Apollos, mightily convinced the Jews that publicly, look what it says, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. 
Before Apollos heard, all he knew was the baptism of John. Before Aquila and Priscilla. After Aquila and Priscilla, he was able to take the Bible, and he was able to preach, and he was able to teach people from the Bible that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Why? Because Aquila and Priscilla took him to the side, and they said, hey, listen, I know I'm not Paul, I know I'm not the pastor, I know I'm not the preacher, I know I'm not, I'm not the missionary, but let me tell you something, I want to I show you something, I want to just show you a little bit more perfectly the way of God and the way of salvation. And they expounded, and they taught him, and they showed him... Go me to Proverbs 27. We're done. This is the last place we're going to turn to. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. Look at verse 17. Proverbs 27. Look at verse 17. What were Aquila and Priscilla doing? Well, we said number one, they were set off. Number two, they were servants. Number three, they sacrificed. Number four, they sharpened. Look at Proverbs 27, 17. Proverbs 27, 17. Look what the Bible says. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know what you could do? You say, I want to be a good church member like Paul and Priscilla. Here's what you could do. You could sharpen other Christians. You could take people and help them. Disciple them. Sharpen them. You know what they were doing with, with, with Apollos? They were taking a good preacher, an eloquent preacher, and they were just, they said, let me just help you. Let, you know, you're a good preacher. You got a good delivery. You got a good sermon. But let us sharpen you a little bit. Just let us make you a little more effective. And when Paul, Apollos left Aquila and Priscilla, he became even a greater preacher. Here's why. Because he could take the Bible and show and prove and preach. And you say, well, Aquila and Priscilla, they weren't the pastor. And they weren't the preacher. And they weren't the missionary. And they weren't in full-time ministry. But they still did this. They served. They sacrificed. And they sharpened. And I want you to notice this. They did everything that Paul did. Serve, sacrifice, and sharpen. There's no difference. There may be a difference in who administers the church. There may be a ministry, the difference in who decides when the harvest party is going to be. There may be a difference in who decides what we're preaching, but we all have the same ministry. We're here to get sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here to sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're here to sharpen for the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me, let me give you just... A real quick disclaimer. If you're going to sit down and take, you know, take somebody and teach them the Bible, you better know what you're talking about. You better be reading your Bible and studying your Bible and know what you believe. The, the, Aquila and Priscilla weren't just flying at the mouth. They knew what they believed. And they were able to prove it from the Bible. Because Apollo, you say, how do you know that? Well, I can see their fruit. They discipled Apollos. And Apollos, the Bible says, he proved mightily from the Scriptures. So they were good teachers. And that's your job. You know, I'm, I go out every week knocking on doors. And I get people saved. And so many, you know, we have 13 baptisms. I, I'm, I'm very excited that the Lord has allowed me to be a part of that. So many of those baptisms have been people that I had the privilege of leading to the Lord. And you say, that's great, Pastor. But here's the thing. I want you to have sitting next to you your convert. The person you got saved. The person you brought to church and they got baptized because you brought them. And they got discipled because you taught them. And they got excited because you but you got you, you taught them how to go. So hey, I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to do it all the rest of my life. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to go out and try to get people saved. And I'm going to go out and serve. And I'm going to sacrifice. And I'm going to teach. And I'm going to baptize. And I'm going to sharpen. And I'm going to do all. 
such a great example in the Bible. And they weren't preaching the sermons. They weren't getting up and screaming and hollering. Paul was doing all that. But they were on the sidelines saying, hey, we're in this. We're in this for the long run. And we're going to make ourselves available. We didn't see it there in Romans 16, but Paul said, that he was thankful for Aquila and Priscilla, and he said all the churches of the Gentiles were thankful for Aquila and Priscilla. Because what they did with Apollos, they did with many people. And all the churches were thankful for them. But I would love to have a church filled with Christians that other churches in other cities, in other countries, would say, man, I'm so thankful for brother so-and-so back at Verity Baptist Church. I'm so thankful for Mrs. So-and-so back at Verity Baptist Church. They invested in my life and now I'm being able to produce. I love the fact that I can say, man, I'm thankful for Fellowship Baptist Church. They invested in my life and now I can minister here. Well, this is what it's about. We're, we're supposed to be able to learn so that we can teach others also. Like it says in 2 Timothy. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. <laughs> 